Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, and welcome to Barron's The Way Forward. I'm Greg Bartalis, and my guest today is Michael Schaefer, Senior Financial Advisor, Managing Director, Investments at the Schaefer Wealth Management Group of Wells Fargo. Today, we will discuss how advisors can grow and maintain wealth in a disruptive world. Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. We spoke recently, and you said chat GPT scares me to death. Let's start with that, and then let's talk about the big picture. But I just wanted to quickly touch base on something very much of the moment. Yeah, so... I mean, ever since the 90s and, uh, you know, creative destruction has been out there and technology and the speed of it has continued to disrupt many different businesses, other technologies and things of that nature. And, you know, when we started to look at ChatGBT in the last year, um, it it's probably the most disruptive technology I've seen in a long time. And... I think the we really don't know what the ramifications of everything it's going to be, but I, I do think it's going to be um, very disruptive. It's going to change um, many people's lives in many different ways. Some of it good. I think it'll be a boom for healthcare, but I think for other businesses, it's going to really have an effect on the size of the business, and I think it's going to have an effect on um, the you know the the job creation going forward and. You know, many technologies in the past have been disruptive, but this one will be probably the most disruptive I've seen um, in, in basically the white collar space. And I think what you're going to continue to see is AI gets smarter and data gets more prevalent in it that I think it's going to be harder for businesses to be able to continue to grow and overcome the destruction that both uh, ChatGPT or AI is is uh, is giving to those businesses. An interesting aspect is you, you have opinions all over the map, right? Some people are much see ultimately this is more positive for business or negative, or what have you. And there also is the vocational dimension, right, of how this actually employ, uh, affects employment and then the investment implications of that. But one really interesting factor that I'm curious what you think about is really not just necessarily getting from point A to point B, but the speed, the, 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 the pace at which this um, creative destruction occurs, right? That's a big X factor because if there is a wholesale transformation of the economy and let's say it unfurls over eight, 10 years, that's quite different than the same change occurring within one to two years. How, speak to me about that, about anticipating and adjusting and the potential disruption, all, all of that. You know, I don't, I don't pretend to know how fast it's going to happen. I just know that it has where you know where we started seeing it, and then where it is now has been really, really fast. Um, I don't, you know, you could say the government could get involved and put speed bumps to slow it down. I, I don't see how they would do that because the rest of the world's not going to do that. Um, but I just think that it's going to take a lot of the gray areas out of many different. Um, you know, many different businesses that are out there that live off of gray areas like accounting or things of that nature. If, 
if the government's using ChatGPT, I can't imagine that um, accounting is, you know, they're going to have to adopt it. And so, you know, it's going to take a lot of the gray area out of, um, you know, what our accountants do. And I think that, you know, it's going to affect education. It's going to affect other technology companies. It'll probably be a boom for anything in research. Um, and, but, you know, there's still some things out there that we just don't know. I mean, somebody's still going to have to decipher the research. Somebody's going to have to look at, you know, the x-ray that this is analyzing and things of that nature. So, but if you think about it, it's probably going to shrink a lot of businesses and it'll shrink the number of people that are involved in those businesses right now. And as an investor, you know, when you're, when you're putting money to work for your future, when you have you know, a runway that's just very cloudy um, and you're not sure how that's going to affect that business, it, it makes it a lot more challenging to, um, to continue to stay with some of these businesses where you just don't know. And, you know, it's, it's going to continue to change the investment landscape. Um, some of it good, it'll help with research. Um, some of it will be that, you know, when you look at how data is provided right now, I mean, it's kind of scary because I think it's going to be hard to decipher what's real and what's not. Right. They're going to be certainly people use it for disinformation, et cetera. There's going to be a lot of potential for that. Tell me in terms of how investors should be looking at the world, where where are there relatively safer places to um, invest given all this? I mean, so, I mean, my team, we spend a lot of time on just looking at businesses that, you know, really can't be disrupted and it might be a little bit boring and, uh, it's not as, uh, it's not as, uh, the volatility is not there. So you don't have as many big moves and things of that nature. But if you just think about how families and wealthy individuals have grown their net wealth, which is tax adjusted net, net wealth, I mean, they really look for businesses with five criteria and that is one. They have some kind of moat around them. Two, they have a high barrier of entry. Three, they have a durable competitive advantage. Four, management acts like a partner. And five, you know, we like them to pay dividends because if, if you're growing, especially if you're growing dividends, if you're growing the dividends, that means the business has to be run that before you allocate capital to other parts of the balance sheet, if a company has been paying dividends and raising it every year and its shareholders are expecting that, Management will comply with that, and before they do an acquisition, before they do a stock buyback, they know that, you know, that their investors are waiting for a dividend and a dividend raise. So it's, it's really a, a long-term uh, investment thesis that is really played out over time. It doesn't mean it works every year. It doesn't mean it performs every year. But if you're looking at your assets and not paying, you know, not clicking capital gains all the time and trading in and out of uh, you know, one sector into another sector. I mean, these businesses, you know, will continue to deliver uh, really good returns and returns that your purchasing power will stay with you. And, you know, most of us, you know, we get caught up in the here and now, we get caught up in, you know, what's going on in the world right now, the latest news and things like that. But if you can buy a business that continually raise prices, that can't be disrupted, that, um, management acts appropriately. I mean, those businesses are really good long-term investments to hold on to for your family. What you're saying sounds very similar to what Warren Buffett often says. I mean, that's, that's some, a lot of the criteria, things that he, he talked about in terms of the wide mode, et cetera. You've, you've mentioned that you've been 
to the uh, Berkshire Hathaway shareholder conference for over 30 years running. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, we just got back. Yeah. So is that 31 or two? Where That's is that? 31. 31. That's really interesting. And there were, apparently, I heard 40,000 attendees this year? Uh, roughly. Yeah. Roughly. I, I don't know what the number is, but it's a big number. Okay. So when you first started, do you re- recall uh, approximately how many people were there? Um, I mean, I don't remember the number, but it was at the Creighton Center, which was a really small venue. And I would s- probably think there was probably 2,000 to 2,500. And okay. it was a shorter meeting. It wasn't, and we didn't have all, you know, you didn't have all the fanfare that you do now. I mean, it's more of just a capitalist spectacle, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it's, um, you know, I mean, Warren and Charlie have grown their net worth and Berkshire's net wealth by, um, continuing to hold really good assets for long periods of time. What are some of your earliest memories of the earliest shareholder meetings for Berkshire that you intend? What what are some of the things that stay with you that you recall? I mean, I think that if I had to guess like what's changed, um, you know, not really my thinking, but kind of uh, made me think in a certain way. It's, I mean, just the power of a brand and you know, they talk about this, and I don't remember if they talked about this back in the early 90s, but, you know, they talked about that if they wouldn't have bought C's Candy, they probably would have never bought Coca-Cola. And they bought C's Candy, and at that point in time, it really made them think about the power of a brand. And the power of a brand, you know, you have a moat. It's got a lot of these characteristics. you got a moat. you got a high barrier of entry. You can raise prices. It's got a durable competitive advantage. And and I know Warren and Charlie have spoken for a long time that if uh, if they wouldn't have bought Seas Candy, they probably wouldn't have bought Coca Cola. And Coca Cola has been one of their you know biggest positions. Yeah, I mean best what, positions. I should say. Well, what's interesting too is I remember during the um, dot com bubble when the Nasdaq was just going to insane heights, Buffett kind of sat on his hands. He said, in so many words, "I don't get it. It's not my core competency. I'm not going to go there." And yet. Uh, years later, it's so interesting. He bet big on Apple and just resoundingly in, in a massive way. I mean, the, the, Apple's easily his biggest equity holding, I think, by a factor of three over Bank of America. It's like twenty percent. It's some yeah, an enormous number, and that also has an incredible brand. He sees correctly, so I think just the ubiquity of it, the loyalty to it. I mean, how people are literally attached to the devices and. All the people who not only have them, but it's, but they're going to certainly buy a, a replacement. You know, it's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. So they have incredible cash flow and whatnot. But I guess that also speaks to him having a certain flexibility, but having still a structure, a framework. And and he's not, pers- he, he totally obviously got it. It made sense to him, unlike some of that in the dot-com where a lot of that turned right. out to be right to avoid most of that, frankly. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about it is, though, is, I mean, Berkshire's so big now that they can't, they have to be able to find, you know, big investments that they can put money in because for filings and things of that nature, it's very difficult for them to, you know, buy into a small business where they can't buy the whole thing. Right. And um, they move the markets too much. So, um, you know, I think Apple's a great investment and, uh, you know, for them. And I think that, you know, they've done very well with it. Um but they don't have as much flexibility as, uh, you know, people that don't have that size of, you know, having, a, I think they have $120 billion as this year. And I think they get a, I think it's like a billion a month into Omaha every, every, uh, every month on cash coming in from the businesses that they have. So they're in, they're in a different situation than most investors because most investors can buy, 
you know, other, you know, the businesses that are not the size of Apple mm-hmm. and uh, it just gives them more flexibility. Yeah. Um, you know, getting back to, to AI and te- disruptive technologies, you're, you're a fan of uh, railroad stocks. Is that right? I mean, I like the features of railroad uh-huh. uh, companies and those businesses um, because they're really an oligopoly inside a monopoly. And, um, you know, they, they have, I mean, they have many attributes for what we talked about on those five attributes. Um, they do have a regulatory side of it, which, you know, can be good and bad sometimes. Mm-hmm. But by and large, over time, I mean, it's going to be hard to disrupt the railroad industry, even if we went to driverless semi-trucks, I mean, they're not going to have 100 cars behind them. Yeah. And uh, so the cheapest way to move product around the country is through railroads. Now, let's go back to the original topic of growing and maintaining wealth. Talk to me about the behavioral dimension of why so many people don't actually uh, stick with it for the long term. And, you know, granted, some of it might be an emergency or in, in sufficient planning, but tell me more about the behavioral component that technically is in their um, control, or should be, or the advisor should be helping, and, and how that, the importance of it. You know, I mean, in my opinion, part of being a good advisor is um, teaching. And, um, you know, our team spends a lot of time teaching and looking at data with clients, and so that they are wired in a way that they look at the world um, in this kind of way. And, you know, it's, it's, it might not be for everybody, but for a lot of people that look at it and, and get it, and you look at the data long term, you know, tax deferred because we're not selling it. And, you know, our, our whole object is to hold these businesses in perpetuity. doesn't mean we can, but that's our object, is that, you know, the compounding mechanism of not paying taxes all the time um, is just it's a, it's a it's a game changer and and it's really a family changer and when we really look at these businesses we're really look at them for you know transitioning the you know the current investor's life and looking at the future generations and how do we grow net wealth and keep it in the family because it's going to be harder for a lot of younger people in this world to replicate what their parents did mm-hmm. and so by continually looking at this and you know it's part of an estate plan and a financial plan but just looking at it in a way that um we can compound uh you know i mean families really you know it it really becomes a game changer and you know every once in a while you know we have to hold hands and you know get people from or investors from doing things that are in the moment and uh and it, but it's you know if you spend a lot of time on the front end with people and investors and families, and spend a lot of time teaching them these these timeless investments, uh, timeless investment techniques, by and large most of them adhere to it. And um, you know we've had crazy periods in the '90s, we've had crazy periods, you know over the last couple of years and things of that nature. And um, but if you really look to it you know, it's, these are timeless principles, investing principles. And, and if they're not timeless, they're not, you know, then they're, they're probably not a good investment principle. Um, so, you know, the problem with a lot of the companies that are coming out and ChatGBT is definitely going to be one that's, you know, we're going to be hearing a lot about, I mean, there was a 60 minutes piece not that long ago, and you're going to continue to see more and more of this come out. It's, um, you know, people want to be a part of the new, the new, uh, investment that's out there. And we've seen this before. And, and, uh, and the unfortunate thing is with that is the exit's probably more important than the entrance. And 
So most most investors get in them and they don't get out of them at the right time because, you know, there's there's I think Buffett said this. It's like there's the three stages of uh, technology companies, and you have the innovators, you have the imitators, and then you have he says the idiots yeah. and. Those three stages are very, very hard for investors um, because they get caught up in it. And then, you know, they don't want to miss out. So it's a fear of missing out. So they stay in it too long. And, you know, if, if you looked at some of these businesses that, that are defensible, like we talked about, you really don't have to do a lot. You just have to hold on to them and not get caught up in anything that's going to um, get your, your mind to think about things in a way that you're going to want to sell them because you don't want to really interrupt compounding. And if you sell, you're going to interrupt compounding. And uh, compounding over your lifetime, just it is substantial when you hold on to really good assets and you're getting rising dividends and you're, you know, your purchasing power is going up with it. Those are game changers for families. Yeah, and I think the interesting aspect of compounding is it really delivers startling results, obviously, the deeper you are into the process. So a lot of people might not see big gains maybe for 5, 10 years and say, eh, but if they hang on 20, 25 years, then they might see some eye-popping numbers and go, aha, and be perhaps more incentivized to stick with it because they're being rewarded for their patience. I mean, so much of Warren Buffett's own wealth has been created something like in the past decade or what have yeah, you. Yeah, Chris Davis over. had something today on that. He said that, uh, and I, I don't remember what the quote exactly was, but I, most of Warren Buffett's net worth was created after he was age 65. Exactly, exactly. So curious about something. Now, the prescription, if you will, of just being patient, letting compounding doing its thing, it's very simple conceptually. However, given the ubiquity of media that we're all on our phones, we're in a media-drenched environment, um, is it harder for people to tune out the noise and stick with this? Um, are you getting more resistance or pushback? Like, oh, I just saw this on TV or that their emotions are getting put in. Like, speak to that dynamic. Yeah, we're, we're not getting it like we did in the 90s. Um, in the 90s, we got a lot of it. and um, But we've spent so much time on the front end educating and just showing data. So we want people to see data. We want our investors to see data. And that way they can look at it and it's not just us, you know, consulting, it's really them just looking at the data. And, um, but you do, it's, it's hard. It's hard not to get caught up in the here and now. And it's hard, I suppose, when you go to a cocktail party and somebody talks about how they made all this money and say Bitcoin and you don't own Bitcoin and you just kind of feel like you're left out. And, um, so, I mean, you know, it's, we can't say that we don't see any of that. Um, but I mean, what we always talk about is, you know, in the short term, the stock market's a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. And it's a big weighing machine when you buy companies that have assets that can raise prices. Yeah. And, and you mentioned sharing the data with clients. Is there any method of delivery that tends to be more effective, be it videos or charts, paper or news articles? I mean, what do you find tends to resonate? Yeah, I mean, we spend, a, I mean, w I mean, we subscribe to Bloomberg. So Bloomberg is just really just a data source. And so we just spend a lot of time looking at, you know, we could look at, since we're talking about railroads, I mean, there's periods where railroads, you know, there's five-year periods where railroads didn't do anything and things like that. And so we'll look at those five years and talk to people and say, how do you feel when you see this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, five years is a long time. I mean, 08, 09 was a long time. And, but if you looked at these businesses and you went to sleep in 08, January of 08, and you woke up in 2010, by and large, 
your income would have gone up substantially and you would have never known you had price fluctuation because these businesses rebounded. And I, I think that, uh, I think that, you know, when we spend a lot of time, it's, you know, and maybe it's just so obvious, um, you would think everybody's doing it, but I think that, you know, with the phone and the media on TV and things of that nature, 24 hours, there's not 24 hours of news every day, business news every day. And so they keep saying the same thing over and over. And so sure. people get it in their head and, they, and then all of a sudden it just becomes real. What we try to do is just look at data and not get emotionally caught up, not get caught up in the here and now and just look at, you know, what that, what the runway looks like for those businesses. And uh, before we wrap up, uh, can you share with the listeners an actionable idea? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I look at my, you know, my clients as my partners, and I think it's very important that when you build your team, you know, around, you know, your wealth management business, that you get like-minded people, not people that are going to agree with you at everything, because we don't want that. We want, you know, we always want to try and poke a hole in our thinking. But if, you know, when everybody buys in, it just makes everybody's life easier. And I think that um, it's important that we deliver to these families really good, timeless advice that is going to help them and help them in the future. And, you know, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in the here and now. And so our, you know, our goal is, you know, we look at our clients as our partners and we want to be able to give them, you know, the ability to continue to compound. It doesn't mean it outperforms every year. It doesn't, does not mean that. But what it does mean is that by owning these, not paying taxes, continuing to compound, you know, we're not going to wake up and we're going to have news where it is so disruptive to that business, like we've seen um, in some of the educational companies that are out there. You know, ChatGBT is starting to pick up steam. Those companies are starting to take hits. You know, it's ChatGBT is not going to change the railroad business. It's not going to change the bourbon business. And so it's just easier to look at those businesses and really hold them for long term and just don't get caught up. And, you know, we'll have people to say, look, you know, just walk me through one more time why we're doing what we're doing and we're happy to do it. Um, and so that's really what we do. And the other thing is, is, you know, we want this to be generational. So we want their children, you know, even some of their grandchildren to, to look at this investment and to look at these as not just pieces of paper, but just really good wealth creators and really good businesses. And so, you know, the stock market's open, you know, it could be having a good day, a bad day. And, you know, Ben Graham always said, you know, Mr. Market, um, you know, the market goes up, the market goes down. But, you know, people that are running railroads, people that are selling bourbon, people, you know, that have brands, you know, they're, they're looking at expanding in, the, in different markets of the world. And they're looking at the world in a different way than just what the short term is of what the stock market does. Excellent. Well, thank you for that perspective and uh, for joining the program. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. My Thank guest you. has been Michael Schaefer. For more advisor-specific podcast, please check out barons.com slash podcast. For The Way Forward, I'm Greg Bartalis. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. 
What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor.